Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. This week, we're going to replay an old show it's one of jude's shows and it was first recorded on the 16th of october 2016 it's by a recovering narcotics user was and was tells his story and talks about the importance of recovery fellowships to get him clean and uh you're with the living free show thanks very much for the intro and today we've got was on the show. We always talk drug and alcohol addiction recovery. Was welcome to the show. Cool. I hope they can hear me out there. It's good to be here. Thanks, Jude. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, what was your drug of choice? Just um, to kick us off. You know, my drug of choice changed over the years, Jude, but eventually and primarily it was heroin. So. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask you, how long have you been off heroin now? So I've been clean from all drugs for, well, on Monday coming up, it'll be five years, um, which is pretty amazing for someone like me, you know, like I used from 14 years old. So uh, it's been a long journey in addiction and um, I still it still feels really surreal that, like, my life has changed so dramatically that I don't feel a need to use a drug anymore, you know. It's, it's really amazing, so... Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, like I'm on here today with you because, I, you know, like I, I really believe in a message of recovery, you know, and I know there's a lot of addicts out there struggling and for me, I never believed I could get clean and, um, you know. Well, did... if, you could, if you could talk to your former self right now, like what I suspect you sort of are, what would you say to them? Uh, really, like I'm, I meet addicts in recovery, Jude, and, and, or, or, or looking for recovery and, and what I say to them, which is, I guess I would say to myself too, is is like, you know, the future you will thank you so much for like getting clean and, and having a go at living without drugs, you know. And, and that's how I feel. I feel like so grateful to the desperate me that, that was willing to do what it took five years ago to get clean, you know. Um, Sounds really hard. So um, living in recovery, um, we'll go back into the the nitty gritty of the story and all the all the misery in a sec. But just before we do, um, what for you is the best thing about about living clean at the moment? Oh, there's so much. It's, it'd be really hard to pick one best thing. Um, like the external stuff, like having a car that's not stolen and is registered to me and having a legit driver's license and not having the police come through my home and 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 never being evicted because my rent's always paid and being, you know, like having a job where I'm valued and my boss wants me there and he's happy to pay me a decent rate and and I'm reliable and I turn up and um, there's all, all, you know, there's, there's so much that's so good about about being in recovery 
Um, but what about on the inside? Yeah, so I was I was going to say those things are kind of the <laughs> externals, right? So they they're the things that sort of we can see. But um, but to go to bed at night and not and not have a head full of oh, I wish I had have said, I should have done, I could have, I wish I hadn't of, you know, to go to bed and be and and to have some level of self-love where 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 I accept myself for who I am and and I and I can be okay with who I am and how I've been in the world on any given day that's the most precious gift you know it's amazing to not doubt myself and kick myself all the time and 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 wish I had of or didn't or or you know all that stuff and um yeah really that's the best thing along along with you know with, with that comes you know that comes from being able to, you know, hold have relationships with people that I don't run from the minute something goes bad, and um, you know, someone does something that angers me, and and I, I used to, you know, I used to end a friendship or any type of relationship based on on one incident, you know, and now to know that, like, um, you know, to be able to understand that everyone's human just like me, and that and that together like I can work through stuff with people in whatever given relationship and um uh and I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not which I, I spent my whole life pretending and um so yeah so just to be able to have relationships where I'm me and I'm not you know no one ever knew me because I pretended to be someone I wasn't all the time no one could actually know me so yeah to be able to be me and, and have relationships based on that people actually knowing who I am is amazing yeah well, it's cool. It's good to see you uh, so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, yeah, and I think I'll probably say that a lot on the show because we do have a lot of people with terrible stories who are now currently looking uh, looking pretty happy. Yeah, a lot. Uh, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I was certainly not that. You know, not for a long, long time. And um, um, I know uh, I I go into prisons and detoxes and rehabs and talk to to addicts you know about about recovery and and about how it's possible to change your life and to stay clean and so on and um and i see in them what what i know i used to wear which is like a dull haunted kind of glazed look in my eyes where i'm just yeah. dis- disconnected and and um yeah it's nice you know i don't know I, I run into people that i used to use with or the other day i ran into someone i was in jail with and they kind of go you look different man like you just look different you know mm. and um you know, my hair's still pretty much the same and my face is the same shape. Like, I haven't had plastic surgery, but yeah, yeah. I know that there's life in my eyes because there's life and love in my heart, you know, like, it's cool. You can you can see it in people recovering too. Yeah, like, and, oh, and absolutely. You see somebody walk in into a recovery community one, one night and everybody will just go, oh, you know, yeah. your eyes are shining. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that if that person stays well, their eyes will keep shining for as long as, 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 long as they... Oh, well, you know. Yeah, that's absolutely been my experience with people in recovery is that, um, you know, and it's what first attracted me to recovery yep. when I when I saw that light in people's eyes. It wasn't really, you know, uh, addicts shared their stories with me, sure, about getting clean and, and the life they had now and so on. And uh, but it wasn't really the stories. It was really the life in people's eyes where I went, oh, wow, like I want some of whatever they've got, you know. Yeah, you can yeah. lie about stories, but you can't lie about that wellness no, that's right, mate. Yeah, you can't fake it. You probably, I'm visine revive and stuff. You could probably have a go, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so we're talking addiction recovery, as always, on the Living Free Show. Um, you've got Jude here on the in the 3CR, and I'm interviewing Was today. And Was, I was just going to ask you a bit about um where you came from and 
And what was it that, you know, had you come to be using such heavy drugs in your life for such a long time? Yeah, it's a good question too, Don. People used to ask me why, you know, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep doing the things that you do, you know, and um, using the way you use? And I never had an answer for them. And I guess I've got some kind of an idea now and I and I look back and um, I grew up overseas and, and when we moved back to, I was, you know, proud to be an Australian and um, we moved back to Australia, I was 14 years old and, and we'd gone overseas when I was about three and um, I guess I had I had an accent, you know, and, and um, kids picked on me at school over it and and I felt like, I just felt like I really didn't, belong and I couldn't connect with people and I didn't I couldn't when I saw like mates turn up to school in the morning and they're laughing and talking together and they just seemed really easy around each other I couldn't understand how they did that and um, I didn't have that with people and uh, you know I, I know now like I was I was I was scared you know I didn't realize then but um then I just knew I was angry and um I started getting in fights and and that sort of changed some people's perception of me and, and, and kind of the kids that smoked on the oval at lunchtime and drank stubbies on their BMXs on the way home from school kind of took me under their wing and and decided I was all right, you know. And um, So you snapped because you sort of didn't have enough tools to do with oh, stuff? I had no, I had no idea. I, I don't ever remember being able to cope with, you know, like if people were talking about how they felt and, and, and stuff, I never I never had words to describe what happened for me, like inside of me, you know, and I, I felt somehow like everyone else had a language that I didn't have, that I was from somewhere else, you know, like I just I just felt wrong. And um, mm. so, you, so you're 14 and, and you're joining the sort of, the, I'm trying not to say the bad kids because I don't reckon they are bad kids, that you're joining the rebels. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a wide section of society would say bad kids, you know, and they do, you yeah. know, and, and yeah, and that's right. And does that right. do any good, you know? Oh, I don't believe it does, but um, it's it's sort of at the moment and for a long time it's been the way it is, um, you know, addiction's been treated as a crime rather than a health issue and I think, you know, I think there's a whole lot of things wrong with a whole lot of our systems, you know. But, yeah, um, you should come in some of our other shows, we go into all that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's right, you know, I... I, I I found I thought I'd found a place in in that kind of group of of people kids you know and um uh, I was different again though in that kind of the people that I started using with IE having a couple of stubbies and a joint mm. they didn't want to inject amphetamines mm. you know and stop going to school and spend their whole life stealing cars and robbing houses so that they could afford drugs and I did, you know, and um, so so you you were sort of going from this sort of um, the middle of the road cohort to being picked up by the rebel kids to then being uh, more extreme than them. Yeah, yeah, I found that that's exactly right. I found that um, that you know along along the along the track, I found people that were as extreme as me, no doubt, mm. you know, yeah. and, and they're the people I, I spent all my time around, but um. Yeah. But certainly sort of the kids that just wanted to drink on the weekend or have a stubby after school or just kind of were experimenting with drugs were not my cup of tea because when I found drugs, I believed I found a solution to like everything that was wrong in my world, you know, my inability to communicate with people. I felt like like I could 
talk to girls. I was confident to, you know, break into people's houses and stick my finger up at the police and run and do whatever, you know. Like I just felt like mm. like all of a sudden I was free from whatever had been shackling me up until that point. And it's funny because you go from not being able to feel much or, or feeling alienated from the feelings to being able to feel fantastic. Yeah, that's what drugs gave me, you know, that it was – in the beginning, it was certainly that. It was it was like an elation, like I'm free and I can do anything and I can be anything, you know, and I'm king of the world. Mm. And um, Was that amphetamines? Initially, or just anything? It, it was really anything, you know. Any, anything that took me out of my my reality yeah. was good enough for me, um, um, you know, and, and the ritualistic stuff that came within IV drug use, um, became fairly attractive as well as the drug itself, you know, and this and the, kind of this feeling that I'm doing something really taboo, yeah. and that and like like sticking my middle finger up to the world, you know, and um, there is this um, there is this thing that I think's um, a huge part of addiction recovery, which is often we come in and we see ourselves a bit as the badasses of the world, and uh, but to get into recovery. We say we're not bad people getting good, we're sick people getting well. But it, I, one of the things I found hard to handle is uh, is I turned into this sort of good person with a life that was much more accountable. Uh, I was getting into trouble a lot less and I found it really hard sort of emotionally to go, well, am I – I don't want to be this person. I want to be the person people are complaining about and <laughs> filing reports on and stuff. That was that was fun, you know. I don't necessarily want to be approved of. What what was your transition there? Yeah, so that stuff for for me it's interesting. I um. You Sounds know, like there was a real yeah. appeal to being the rebel kid. Oh, I, I I wanted to be badder than everyone else. So if you did something, I was going to go one further, you know. And um, uh, and I wanted to be the craziest. And a, and a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of that stuff now I look back was the validation from other yeah crazy kids, you know, that kind of went, oh mate, you're alright, you're sick, you know, and um. And getting clean, you know, like I've spent a lot of years in jail and, and and I've, I can say had to, I don't know if that's actually the case, but I've built up this front that where I pretend that I don't care and nothing matters and you can lock me up and I'll do it standing on my head and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, um, and I'm not scared of anything. And the funniest thing is I'll find that really I've got so much that I'm scared of, you know, but, um, mm. But I pretend that I'm not scared of anything and I'm hard and, and, and I'm tough, you know. And um, and then I come into recovery and, and, and like you said, I, I can't be in recovery and still have those pretenses, those fronts, those masks, you know, uh, that they won't serve me in recovery. As a matter of fact, they'll take me back into addiction. They are part of my addiction, you They're know. They're part of my old thinking, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they have to go, but then, I don't know, I, don't, I never had a real... I never really railed against being like I hear some people in recovery go, oh, I'm not here to be a goody two shoes, but to some extent that's not my experience. I sort of I, I like being a good person. That's what allows me to sleep well at night when I, when I'm being a decent human being, you know. But in early days of recovery, that it wasn't easy to just go from all those you know that's 25 a big years. Of, it, yeah. It's a massive. If you've been in jail and you've done all sorts of stuff. You can't just o- overnight turn into, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's kind of, there's a part of me that, that I guess I, I, without living that stuff anymore, being the badass, without mm. living it, but kind of like I'm covered in tattoos and whatnot, and 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 
you know, I've got a few scars on my head, so if I shave it, I'll look pretty bad or whatever, you know. And um, and I got clean and I've been pumping the weight. So I, I had this sense that I could still have that protective have cloak. In, then, and that's the word I was about to get to, protection, you yeah. know. And, and all of that badassness is often because we're feeling super vulnerable yeah. and we need this layer of protection. And the n- normal people, I don't like using the word normal either, but but the peop- there's, a lot of, the, there's a lot of non-addicts <laughs> who don't need that. Like they're not feeling super vulnerable and wounded and like they're missing a layer of skin. So therefore they don't need protection. They don't need to pretend to be much worse and I don't care and yeah. you can't hurt me. And so there's sort of this, this double layer thing going on with us. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, and getting rid of it um, messes with your head a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, that's for sure. And, and certainly that stuff is not extinct from my life. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like given situations, or, you know, traffic's a good one. Traffic's Traffic a really good one everybody. when I'm impatient yeah. and I'm tired and it's hot or it's cold or whatever it is and it, no one's moving fast enough and one more car in front of me seems to be the end of the world, I can still speak in a manner, even if they can't hear me, you know, that is not reminiscent but mirror of the me before recovery, you know, and, and that's the person that that I don't want to be. But I know, you know, I know to some extent, he's always going to be in my life. Like, I like to think of it like that yeah. was it from back then. Yeah. He's shadowing me, you know, and I need to keep walking forward in recovery because if I stop and, and hang around, he'll catch up and he'll start running the show again. And he's, you know, like I, I'm the, the way I was in addiction, you know, it's such a, such a, a cycle of, you know, doing things to get my drugs because I can't be without them. And then the things I've done, I feel so guilty and ashamed of. And so then I need more drugs to live with myself. And, you know, like the fun and excitement of it went pretty early days, you know. And um, mm. Actually, that was where we were heading to. We went into the into the broader discussion, which is lovely. But how bad did things get now that we're here? Oh, look, yeah, by the time I, you know, I was in, injecting drugs when I was 14, maybe going on 15. By the time I was 15, I was locked up in a boy's home. Um, I'd stopped going to school, you know. I, I was pretty much a full-time criminal. I, I had jobs on and off. Um, you know, I'd start an apprenticeship and, and do the three-month trial and they'd accept me or whatever, and then I'd leave because, I'd, you know, I just my whole life revolved around using drugs and, and, you know, drugs came before, you know, food, clothing, housing, um, you know, relationships with my family, my kids, my partners, whoever, they were my number one priority. And for all, uh, I don't know, when my first son was born, I, I would tell you that I loved him more than anything in the world, you know, but my actions said that I love drugs more than anything in the world. And, um, I think by by that stage it wasn't a, a love of drugs, but a, but it was just a need for drugs. And um, you know, I spent a lot of years in prisons. Um, you know, what did you get locked up for? Is that all the burglary and stuff? Uh, there's a lot of violence related stuff. You know, um, I was always so angry. I always felt like it was me against the world, and um, and I felt like, you know, if I wasn't in control and you weren't doing things how I wanted you to do them or believing what I wanted you to believe or you know saying what I wanted you to say then I'd fix it with violence I guess and um <laughs> it's crazy I look back now and I just think I don't know how I'm still alive you know um the, the overdoses number well over 20 you know where I've had to be narcan by ambulances 
Um, Hang on a minute. Over 20 overdoses. Yeah, yeah. In the last wow. in the last nine days of my using, I overdosed seven times. Where where I had to be Narcan, you know, I was found on the side of the Eastern Freeway near near the um, Mullum Tunnel at Ringwood, East Link there, and they Narcan me on the on the shoulder of the road there at, at Baronia Safeways. I was Narcan there. Um, I was Narcan in some back street and things. Okay, so just you know, for the listeners who have no idea what this is, what's Narcan? Oh, I'm sorry, Jude. I, I tend no, to right. assume that people you know normally, stuff uh, just because I do. You uh, normally speak to a listener, uh, an audience of people who know yeah, exactly yeah. what so you're talking so about. Narcan's a drug that ambulance officers use for uh, opiate overdoses. So if you've overdosed from heroin or any other opiate and, you, you know, your breathing stopped or your heart stopped or they're both close to stopped, Narcan's a, a drug that... Um, turns around the effects of those opiates, so revives you basically, yeah. So, yeah, so there was a lot of, you know, loneliness, misery, the prison stuff, uh, I thought never affected me much. And look, in, in honest truth, it probably saved my life on occasions, you know, um, yeah. saved me from myself. How long, how long were you in prison? Oh, look, it's hard to say. I think I've been in prison like seven or eight times and, and most of them short, what people call short or sentences, you know. In prison we call them drunks laggings, as in, you know, something you did while you're drunk so you don't get ten years. But um, probably all up numbering around seven years or something of mm-hmm. being in prison, boy, boys' homes. Yeah. Did you get institutionalised on the inside? or? I, there's certainly a... a, a frame of mind, I guess state of mind that comes with being in prison where where you know, as, as a prisoner you need to protect yourself from the people that are locking you in there and you need to protect yourself from the people that you're locked in there with. That's the state of mind anyway, whether that's the the reality of the situation twenty four hours a day or not, that's that's the state of mind that we live with as prisoners and um and and certainly a lot of that comes well, with me, came with me when I left prison every time, you know. And Is it hard to leave prison mentally? Uh, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I don't... There's times when I wished I was in prison, but there was never a time that I was in prison that I wished I could stay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the, I, I've had probably years of my life where if there'd been a sort of a mental institution with nice grounds... <laughs> Yeah. With a comfy bed, I would have happily checked in there. Yeah. yeah. For as long as. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's certainly times when I've been out of prison and and wishing that I could just be back in prison because it's simple. I yeah. get fed and there's a bed and there's a gym and there's a structure to my day and yep. I wouldn't have to do all the things that I've got to do to maintain my life in addiction. You know, yep. for sure. Um, were you taking drugs in prison or were they sort of cleaner times for you? Yeah. No. Uh, uh, the first couple of times in prison I didn't use intravenously like I smoked marijuana or whatever and drank home brews um, and then later on what I started people home brewing off because I've heard horrible stories of shoe polish and carry uh, from the alcoholics yeah terrible stuff I haven't <laughs> <laughs> the alcoholics have always got really bad stories <laughs> I, I um Nobody, their yeah. homebrews were, were like stuff from the kitchen, so oh, oranges and potatoes and yeast and water. Oh, that's and, quite civilised. Yeah, 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 it was okay, really good, good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, and then later on I, I got into, um, 
using intravenously in jail, which involves using a cut-down syringe that's been that's up someone's bum. A whole bunch of other people with the a, same and needle. And six it? of you sitting in a cell and all using the same needle and, and telling myself, it's all right, I won't get fine. hepatitis or whatever, which I'll didn't turn out to be the truth. Put you know? it over a, over a cigarette lighter and that'll kill all yeah, the Yeah, just flush it out under the cold tap under or whatever, tap, you know, yeah. just just lying to myself like I did about most things Listeners, in my life. Listeners, none of these are good ways of stopping yourself from getting intravenous infections. No, they're, no. Def- they're definitely not. And, and in my case, I, I, I got a couple and I'm lucky yeah. that we have a cure for hepatitis C nowadays and I've just finished the treatment. Oh, I really had it go. Which, um, well, they, you've got to wait a few months after the end of treatment to, to really actually see. verify that you've definitely cleared it, but the mm. signs are good at the moment for me. So many people have got, you know, yeah. It, it's it's so, so well I was sharing needles when I was 15 years old. Yep. You know, and we hadn't even heard of hepatitis C. Yeah. And I didn't know that you could go to a needle exchange, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, look, we, you know, as addicts, we're up we're up against it. And um, But I guess really why I'm here with you today, Jude, mm-hmm. is because, you know, like, I always thought I'm going to spend my whole life yep. in and out of prison. Yep. No one's going to love me. Well, Why would whole, they? Your whole life wasn't probably going to be all that long with that. No, it wasn't going to be long, and I'm going to die with a needle in my arm. Yeah. Like, and 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 uh, you know, there's how, no. How many of your that wasn't silly did. to think that yeah. based on the evidence of my life. The people around you, did you see a lot of that? A lot of people I know have overdosed and died over the years. You know, a lot, and a lot of people, you know, in the horrors of addiction have suicided, and um, and I know a lot of people that in a crazy moment, in a crazy drug-addled moment, have cost themselves, you know, probably the rest of their lives in yep. prison, you know. Yeah. So, you know, the odds aren't good for addicts in addiction, yeah. but the odds are pretty good for addicts in recovery, you know, and, and that's why I'm here today because I want people to know that, like, it doesn't matter how bad it seems, you know. It doesn't. Mm. Like, it can be turned around and... and um, there's, there's places where you can get help and um, and my recovery is based on spending time with other addicts in recovery, you know, and that's because I can't do it alone. Like I, I tried drug replacements, so methadone and buprenorphine and stuff that they give heroin addicts so mm-hmm. that they don't have to use heroin. And I just used on top of that as well or, or I took it away from the chemist and shot it up and, you know... Um, the court sent me to counsellors and, and, and I've seeing psychologists and all this kind of stuff and no yeah. one no and one on this could show, ever we're me. not saying none of those things don't work for some people hey those things have um, got their place they and they've got their do. place even for me now in yeah. recovery right but but they there was no one that studied from a book and hasn't lived addiction could make me actually understand yeah. that i don't have to live my life in addiction yeah you know all right, um, we're talking addiction recovery today in living free show I'm talking to was and uh, we've just gone into um all sorts of misery and heroin and jail and stuff. Um, so at some point you got well, because you're sitting opposite me, five years clean, bright-eyed and bushy, almost, almost. Couple four of years days. and how many days clean, and uh, and and how'd that happen? Uh, so, so yeah, for me, as I said earlier, at the end of my using, I went I went on probably my third overdose binge where I was overdosing, you know, regularly, if not a daily basis, and um. I'd had people at me, I guess, for years, sort of saying, "You need to go to rehab. You need to do something." And I always thought, was "Yeah, this you... your family or your mates?" Yeah, or my family. Users? You know, my parents, my sister, my my partners. Um, you know, 
So you're still in contact with, with non-users a bit or? As in my family and so on? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right up until the end of last year, I worked with and for my family. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean you were like at when you oh, were at the end. Lot, oh, were, sorry, uh, yeah, at the end yeah. there, we were at a point where you know my parents put up with a lot over a long, long period of time, and mm. um, and and they, you know, probably had done similar before, but were very firm in sort of going like, we're not visiting you in jail anymore. You can't borrow any money. You can't come and live here when you get out. We're done with you, mm. you know, and mm. um, and. In saying that, they weren't because they got health insurance, so I could go to rehab. And and yeah. and me and my, you know, I was just so tired at the end. At the end of it, I was just so done and so lost. I didn't know what, like, I just didn't know what to do anymore. I'd always felt self-sufficient, like I know I can go and rob that from there and get some money and go and score and all this stuff, you know. And uh, I was just broken and 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 for lack of really just because it was easier. I just went, yeah, all right, I'll go to a rehab, you know, mm. and not expecting for my life to change dramatically, not expecting to even stop, not even wanting to stop using drugs because I didn't want that. I wanted the loneliness, the sadness, the misery, the police chasing me all the time, the people chasing me for money, the people that owed me money running from me, the the never having a license, not being able to get a phone in my name. I wanted all that to stop, but I didn't want to stop using that wouldn't make any sense using was the only thing that allowed me to be okay in the world I thought and um so I go to a rehab and you know I picked one my my elimination process was you got to be able to smoke cigarettes they got to have a gym and it's got to be really short term so I found one that was those things you know it was four weeks and um and I, I I went in there you know really sick and um and I expected to be medicated and I thought I'm going to eat, I'm going to train in that gym that they've got and I'm going to put some weight back on and I'm going to pretty much treat it like jail and I'm going to come back out and get back to my life. I mean, you would have been like, yeah, I got this. I've yeah. done institutions, you know. Absolutely. I, I didn't have... I just kicked my, that into gear. My expectation was to eat food, to yep. train, put yep. on some weight and get yep. back to my life. And I look now and I think, why did you want to even get back to your life? You're crazy. You <laughs> and I was, I was crazy. You example though. Like you probably didn't have a healthy life versus a, a, a using life to go, oh, will it, I choose this one or that one? That's correct. You know what, it was the healthy all on life's you. better. Yeah. 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 That was all on you. And, I was um, the same. Like I was like, it was a step off a cliff into nothingness. I yeah. had no idea what not drinking would be like. Yeah, yeah. And I um so I so I check in there and um and they I was right they did medicate me but only for about five or six days and it was like two valiums a day which I thought I needed like thirty you know and yeah. um and that first couple of weeks was 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 just this battle in my head where I kept telling myself oh there's eighty dollars like in your property which my sister had dropped off so I could do like the takeaway food nights that they had there you know I thought oh, I could take that and I could buy some drinks at the bottle up the road then I could catch a train to Collingwood and I can score and then and and I'll just tell them I want a hundred and when I get there I'll say oh I'm sorry I've only got 50 you know yep <laughs> all this crap and um and then I don't know I just have moments of clarity where I could just see like the totality of my life and what it had amounted to and and it was just it felt like it was less than nothing and and, and I certainly knew that 
I didn't have any plan for it to get any better. Like I never met that ultra rich supermodel that was just going to buy all the heroin that I ever wanted or whatever, you know, like it never happened. And, um, and, um, so I hung around there and, and when things really changed for me was when that rehab connected me up with, with like a recovery fellowship, you know, where, where I met other addicts that, that I knew, you know, it was the first time in my life that I realised that I wasn't the only one. I, I really always felt like it was just me, you know, and it was me against the world. And um, and, and I met these people and I was amazed to find out that there's people just like me, you know, number one. And two, that they're staying clean. And three, that they're happy about it, you know. And I, I, I was really gobsmacked and... Um, and I kind of, as I said before, you know, that Sounds life like in their eyes. didn't have all that many preconceived ideas. No, not at all. Oh, look, I, I remember um, my mum probably 15 years ago saying to me something like, you should go to one of those anonymous yeah. things or something like that. And I and I said to her, I remember saying to her, why would I want to do that, go and sit around and talk about drinking or using drugs or whatever and not use – that's not going to work. That's just going to make me want to use, you know. And – um. And, and, yeah, what I've found now, my truth is that... And they'll all be losers, is what I would always finish that thought with. Yeah, I don't think I actually said that, but, yeah, yeah. but yeah, like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. The and, people um, who admit they have a problem, like, yeah. no, <laughs> yeah. like, my only strength was that I refused to admit that I had yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. That was... Everyone else had the problem my, for yeah, me, you know, problem, like it was yeah. everyone else. If you don't like it, boot off, you know. Yeah. This is my world, you're just visiting. Polluting it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, to realise that that I was wrong, you know, mm. about so much stuff, you know, about everything really. Like I was just like everything that I believed myself to be and, and, and you know, the stuff I thought I could control and, you know, I was just wrong about so much stuff and certainly about the fact that people like me would always be people like me, you know, I was so wrong about that. And to see these other people as living evidence of that was amazing. And, um, you know, I wanted some, so I got involved. And, um, yeah, you know, as we've said, like it's almost five years ago now. And, and, and You're just skimming over a whole lot of work, aren't you? Uh, look, look, there's, there's, there's been, you know, I didn't, I didn't get magically fixed and I'm still not cured, you know. I don't believe there's a cure for addiction. I still believe that, like, I'm an addict, you know. It's just that I'm an addict in recovery now and certainly I've had to put effort into staying, not just staying clean, but be, being in recovery, which I think is two different things, you know. Staying clean just means I don't put a drug in my system. Being in recovery means I try to fundamentally change who I am, you know, and... um all right. You said um, before the show that you're a bit of a stickler for recovery. Um, what what does that mean? Like for, well, for the listeners who are like, what? Well, <laughs> um, surely you just well, stop using and 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 that's and that was your problem, and then the, yeah, then the right, yes, yeah, so, gone, and then you will. Yeah. So my experience and the experience of you know all all my friends, which is a lot of of addicts in recovery, is that we don't kind of just stop using and like maybe go to a rehab for six months and we're cured we find that the that the drug use is just a symptom of the disease of addiction and mm-hmm. that that there's a whole lot more to treat than just the drug use you know the so drug use just is, as an example you're talking before about feeling like everybody else had a language when you're a kid yeah. everyone else had a language that you couldn't speak what sort of stuff have you done that's helped to 
deal with that problem? Okay, so um, so for one, in the in the recovery community or fellowship that I'm involved in, we've got literature that describes for me stuff that happened for me that I could mm-hmm. never describe. That when counsellors said, so was. What is it that brings you here today? Why do you keep doing this? Your family tells me, or the courts say, why do you? And I never had an answer. I couldn't describe what happened for me. Yeah. And and so. Well, they're saying, why do you use so much heroin, or why do you feel so? Yeah, miserable? and why do you keep robbing people just so you can get stoned? Like, what's yeah. what's your what's your problem? And yeah. I didn't know. I don't know. Every time I end up in the police cells, I'd be like, why did I do that again? Yeah. I didn't have an answer. I didn't know why I did what I did. You know, and it turns out that it's quite simple i'm an addict you know Um, a lot of addicts have you know histories of of trauma and stuff like that that might might start their their addictions off but um you know a lot of addicts are just addicts and we don't need more of a you know for recovery purposes certainly don't need more of an explanation than that and um yeah in the i've read a bunch of sort of scientific literature about it and they basically put put it in three camps you know there's there's where there's a strong link to trauma there's where there's a strong link to genetics so you've got a lot of addicts in your family and then there's the clear blue sky mob you know there's a whole bunch of people who are addicts and we have no idea why yeah yeah, so that's kind of me, I guess, because yeah. I've got—I come from a really loving family. I had a, an amazing childhood growing up overseas. You know yeah. that. that well, that, of... and that's the thing. If if you've got three cohorts and you and you're sort of cross-linking them, so you, you're getting someone who's an addict and you're saying, "What terrible thing happened to you?" Then that person's alienated. If nothing terrible happened to them, they can put their finger on. Similarly, if you've got someone who yeah. doesn't have a big family history. And, and you're like, well, tell us about your parents, you know, and they're like, well, my parents are lovely. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's yeah, yeah, to, to right. understand that, that there's a whole bunch of people with different reasons. Yeah, is, and, uh, and, and yeah. I think, you know, in our society today, there's so many, you know, I think often we try to treat a symptom of, of addiction, yep. you know, whether it's alcohol or, or heroin or, or, you know, meth or gambling or whatever and and, and i believe exactly that that they are just symptoms you know and 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 that that what we need to do is treat the disease of addiction not the symptom sure the symptom needs to be addressed like i can't yeah in any way shape or form start to recover if i'm still using drugs yeah you know Uh, similarly if you or i went back on our drugs of choice now we wouldn't be in recovery there's no way I can use a drug in recovery. No. I, I, you know, I mentioned before, like kind of I can revert yeah. to that old me without putting a drug in me. You know, I can feel like I'm not in recovery without even using. Mm. When I use, my evidence has been when I start using, I can't stop for 25 years. Right? I started when I was 14 and I stopped just before I turned 39. Right? Mm. That's the my evidence that says to me I can't stop once I start. You know, mm-hmm. with and yet here I am stopped, but with the help of other addicts. You know, everything I try on my own, like my best ideas, never helped me. You know, um, so I need other addicts in recovery to show me how to give me that language to explain what happens to me and to show me like, you know, how how to change my personality, how to become, you know, a, a you know different dare I say better human being you know you said you said before you go and talk at um, hospitals and institutions is going back to jail hard going to talk at jails oh it's such an amazing experience I go to Port Phillip um, you know randomly when I'm asked and um, and we visit four or five different units in the prison and talk to anywhere from three or four to 
15 or 20 guys at once. And um, uh, I guess, you know, I go in there and, it, and it's traumatic going through the gate. Like I, I can't – I pinch myself. I can't believe I'm walking in here of my own volition, you know. And I, and I walk through and, and, and we get through the office and the wall and we walk out into the yard and I feel free in the yard which sounds ridiculous. And then I walk into the unit and I get the same old feelings I used to have when I got off a prison van there and I was in the greens or whatever and and, and I feel like I need to watch my back and, and I have to remind myself of what I'm doing and why I'm there. And, um, and then people, prisoners full of that bravado that I always used to wear too, you know, like I'm not having a go at anyone for it, but that they kind of, pretend they're not interested or they're genuinely not interested but we take biscuits you know what i mean we take family assorted creams (laughs) and they come over to get a biscuit and they catch a snippet of what i'm saying and they stop pacing the yard and they they start to listen i know so many people who got so because of the biscuits yeah the biscuits biscuits if you go to the meetings around like um essendon that you get the people who used to be in pentridge and they uh and they're like i didn't i didn't want to get sober i just wanted i wanted the biscuits yeah (laughs) it's like well you can you can do a good thing for a bad reason yeah yeah not that family assorted is ever a bad reason (laughs) no it's it's a great reason love those things monte carlo is my favorite yeah Yeah. and um you know blokes listen and and uh, and they thank you you know for coming Mm. in and and then after about five hours, we leave there, and I walk out the gate, and I'm, I leave there, you know, often in tears, kind of tears of joy, for, like for myself, and sadness for the blokes that I'm leaving behind, because I know my experience. I stop using drugs, and I get into recovery, and I'm not a criminal. Mm. I don't steal stuff anymore. I'm not getting charged with anything. I'm not going to jail. You know what I mean? I went to jail because I'm an addict, because of the things I did to feed my addiction, and I know that's the truth for the vast majority of blokes in prison and I cry for them when I leave and, and I know that most of them, even as inspired and grateful as they might have been to hear me speak to them. One time, on one day. They won't leave there and come and get clean. They'll leave there and go back to doing what they're always doing. But, you know, you know, I we do this stuff because mm. if one person, like if, if everything I went through in 25 years of, drug use changes can help to change one person's life mm. then it makes it worth something otherwise it's worthless it's meaningless you know so you're saying you you don't steal anymore and you you don't lie lie and stuff um oh, what, look what I, I still do? lie about stuff we you still know? do okay. tell i still lies. yeah i still yeah. lie about <clears throat> stuff you know but but you basically uh, your life's very different now very, what is very what different. is your life like now ah uh, so I touched on like the external stuff earlier. So like my rent gets paid, or, you know, I turn up to places when I say I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm reliable at work, all that, all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't, um, yeah, I don't steal stuff. You know, I, I feel almost like there's, there's two. I guess there's always been two me's, but I feel like there's two me's. There's the me then and the me now, and and now I. Like I used to rally, rail against everything. Like I didn't, the speed limits were stupid. You're treating us all like idiots. We've got eyes. We can see. We know how fast it's safe to go down this road. If you listen you know to the I mean? radio while while driving this car, don't listen to Addict Warren right now. Yeah, maybe. yeah, just yeah. take it easy on the road. Take it easy on the road. Listen. You get hurt. Anyway, yeah. You can get hurt, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now, if, like, for me, it's a relief to just go, you know what? I'm just going to, not going to conform and be a slave to and all that stuff, but I'm just going to go along with what everyone else is doing. We're all just trying to do our best here, you know? And uh, and and it's a relief for me. It's a weight off my shoulders to, to just be able to go, if the speed limit's 80, I'm just going to... I shouldn't talk about speed limits because that's not all true. Like, I ride motorcycles and I like to go quick, you know? But, Currently got but, an but, you know, when, that, but yeah. let's use another example like yeah. shoplifting. Yeah. Like, I don't think the world owes me something. Yeah. So I don't think that it's okay to go in... Woolies. Woolies are huge. They earn billions, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's my justification for stealing off them. They won't even notice mm. or whatever it is, you mm. know. And, and I used to do that stuff all the time and... And now I try to live, I guess, in in a truth, you know. Mm. So I guess for me, a lot of recovery is about truth, and and you know, the truth is like it's not alright for me to take something that's not mine. I should earn what I want, like everyone else does. You know, I used to think I was special and that. I got a Jimmy Cricket on my shoulder once. Like, once I went in recovery, and I remember, uh, um, I remember trying to trying to thieve a biro from work. <laughs> This little voice in my head suddenly going, yeah, yeah, you, conscience, can, yeah. you can buy that at the shop, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Where'd you come yeah. from? Oh, the, no. the, I, I bought the bananas with the red wax on the tip one day. Yeah. And I went through the self-serve checkout. Oh, dear. And I clicked the flame and normal bananas, didn't I? Big admissions here on 3CR. Yeah. yeah. I hope the FBI is not listening, right? <laughs> That's another country. Yeah. Uh, and I clicked the normal bananas and I paid oh. however, whatever it was. Ten cents less or bananas. something, and and I've you got a for uh, yeah, and mm. I've got a conscience that yeah. goes, you know what, you that's know what? that's not okay. Was you know what I mean? So and that's yeah. that's the voice. I guess it's always been there inside of me, but I've never listened. I've always listened yeah. to the other one. It <laughs> says stuff them, do yeah. what you want, get what you can, take it, it's yours. You know, like, and that yeah. other voice They'll has just been me. drowned out. You know, and yeah. um, for me, I still like to scare myself now and again. Um, and you were saying before the show, you still sometimes jump out of planes, go snowboarding. You know, there's a lot of outlets to go and do scary things without uh, without just... Yeah, you know, everything was always about I'm gonna. Mm. Like when it came to d- doing fun stuff, it was mm. always I'm gonna. I, I, I had motorcycles through my addiction, which was one kind of thing that I really hung on to, which was almost as important as drugs. Not mm. quite, you know. And um, And I did some stuff with them, but... But if I saw someone bungee jumping on television, I'd be stoned next to my mate and I'd be like, oh, let's, we're going to go bungee jumping, bro. Like, but we were never going to do anything. Yeah. You know, I couldn't get my act together to get to the needle exchange before it closed, you know. So how was I going to go bungee jumping? You know, I couldn't buy cigarettes because I had to get heroin first. So how was I going to go bungee? I wasn't, you know, and now... I guess I get to try stuff. So I've jumped out of a plane once mm. in recovery, and oh, it was cool. It was amazing, the best experience. Um, I've been learning to snowboard with other addicts in recovery or and other addict in recovery who's a good friend of mine who's, uh, you know, taken me snowboarding a couple of times, and, um, and I've tried to learn to surf sort of on my own with other addicts in recovery there but without anyone kind of tutoring or instructing me, and I got smashed up by the waves really badly and I'm terrible like at attempting to teach myself to surf but it was an amazing experience it was really good fun you know I've been you know like 
couldn't get to the needle exchange on time, but in recovery, I've managed to like go to birth, deaths and marriages, get myself a passport, get a visa to go to Nepal. And I've been over there for three weeks with my little brother and my little sister. It's where we grew up. And we hired motorbikes and rode around the Himalayas for three weeks. Like, I just, mm. it, recovery, like, I don't do that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, you can look at this week or next week of my life, and I'm just a bloke that gets up and has breakfast, and I don't, I'm not at work at the moment because I broke my leg. But, um, you know, generally speaking, I'm just an mm. average Joe. But if I choose to do amazing things i'm able to do them now you know mm. and i was never able to do anything before this was a massive focus of our show for years um with pete when um pete's overseas now but uh but very much talking about what are you doing with your freedom you know and i think there's often a sense when people are, are in recovery from from addiction like addiction's a serious disease and when you get in recovery from it you can be like wow yeah, you know, and it's it's easy to go into oh, I'll just have a routine, I'll do the routine, and and that's it. But yeah. to be able to go, what else can I do? Yeah, yeah. safely. You yeah, know, that's Without right. using, without drinking, but what else can I do? You know, I, I don't think I'm as limited as I thought. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, I see it all the time with other addicts in recovery. We're capable of amazing stuff. You know, and um, yeah, uh, for me, it, it might sound a bit crazy to some listeners to think like if you go through 25 years of drug use and jails and diseases and having your kids taken from you or or ignoring them to the point where they're just not in your life anyway or whatever and just being lonely and miserable and then like me I get clean I'm almost five years clean and if you ask me like what's the most amazing thing that I do when I turn around and I say it's helping another addict get clean you might think I'm crazy but for me nothing quite compares to being a part of another addict getting out of that isolation and despair and misery of addiction yeah well just quickly before we go um that was exactly what i was about to ask you like what's what is it like when someone comes in and and you actually can help them um it gives us i was thinking this morning you know like i never had purpose other than to get off my face to make sure that i didn't have to be straight in this world you know mm. and and i never had a purpose apart from that and um and it gives me purpose now it means that that everything that that i experienced in my addiction is worth something because mm. when another addict can relate to me and go oh yeah me too mm. then they can relate to me or start to trust me or listen to me when i'm talking recovery as well as the addiction stuff and um so it gives me self-worth, I guess you could say, you know, like I, I know that I can be valuable to other people and, and I can, I've got something that's valuable to other people, you know, and that's amazing. God, you know, I believed for a long time that, it, that I was a worthless, useless, you know, leech and, and probably, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, but, um, no judgment on anyone that's using out there no, at the moment, but, uh, yeah. You know yeah. that yeah it's it's that's a you know that's it. I wasn't much good to anyone and um and today I can be of of some good to some people you know that show was an edited version of Jude's interview with Was and it's from 16th of October 2016. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature another recovery story and talk about programs that can help people suffering from various addictions as well as their family and friends. Coming up next, we have Bellamoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Talgium Choco Edwards, 
join him on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.